The only reason why you would want to escape from humanity is that somebody has reached out and damaged you so deeply that you have lost faith that there are good enough things that are worth coming out of your comfort shell to actually try to experience. Hello, the internet. You are listening to Changed My Mind with Luke T. Harrington. This is my show where I talk to people who have changed their minds about big things. Um, I'm Luke T. Harrington, award-winning novelist, best-selling humorist, uh, noted Coca-Cola with coffee enthusiast. Yeah, I'm sitting here drinking a a Coca-Cola with coffee. Don't judge me. Uh, yeah, there's a new product on store shelves called Coca-Cola with coffee, which is about the least creative name that they could give something. About 12 years ago, there was a product called Coke Black, and it was basically the same thing, Coca-Cola Black. I was obsessed with that stuff. I was like guzzling that thing, that stuff, day and night. And then they took it away from me because the Coca-Cola company is a cruel heartless company. Um, But you know what? They just brought it back with a different name, Coca-Cola with coffee. Uh, It's not the sort of thing most people would like, probably. It is the sort of thing I like. So you know what? Don't judge me. I'm gonna drink what I wanna drink. I'm gonna drink a Coca-Cola with coffee. Um, On this episode of the show, uh, we're Proceeding with our two-part Valentine's Day series, um, I spoke with Maggie Miller Jenkins, uh, who is the wife of a guy I knew way back in high school. He reached out to me, said, hey, heard you're looking for people to come on your show. You should talk to my wife. I said, okay. Um, So this was the uh, first time I spoke with her, and based on the way the episode had been pitched to me, the conversation did not go at all how I expected it to, uh, which isn't a criticism, not a complaint, just it is what it is. Um, So yeah, I'll let you uh, listen to me fumble and (laughs) try to keep up. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and flip you over to Maggie Miller Jenkins, and I will see you on the other side. Maggie, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Maggie is a stay-at-home mom and community activist out in Lincoln, Nebraska. Also, the wife of a guy I went to high school with. hadn't talked to uh, hadn't talked to her husband Mike until I don't know, just a few few months ago. I think. Um, man, it's been a while since my high school days. But my publisher put out an ad for my book on Facebook, and Mike saw it and was like, hey, man, how you been? <laughs> so, and then I was I was looking for guests for the show. And he said, my wife has a fascinating story for you. So yeah, uh, we're doing a, you know, a two episode Valentine's Day series because it's February or will be when this comes out. Um, and what Mike told me was that you once thought you were never going to get married again. And now obviously you're married to him. So Lucky him, I guess, right? (laughs) Absolutely. I'm a catch. (laughs) Before we uh, start with that, though, do you want to talk a little bit about what it is you do? Community activists? What what are you up to? Yeah. So I do a lot of different things. Jack of Uh, all trades. Yes. Yes. I've got many, many hats. So I am a stay-at-home mom, and I take care of my two kids, regularly and then my stepdaughter um, regularly as well and then I am also a community activist who I go out and um, help organize protests I put together different events for different groups and things Um, I do a lot of like community outreach and work with um, the homeless coalition and uh, plan forward I'm part of the equity planning team for plan forward 2050 so yeah right on what's plan forward I'm not familiar with that um, plan Forward 2050 is something that happens in Lincoln. Um, they plan for the next 30 years. Got it. 
So is that like an urban development thing or? Yeah, it deals with a lot of like infrastructure. The part that I deal with is the equity piece. So for like uh, transportation, equity would look like uh, the bus driver having an app on his phone so that if somebody comes on his bus that doesn't speak a language that he knows, he can have them speak into their phone and then take their message and have it translated into English, which is something that we're working on getting so that everybody everybody has equal access with what they need to actually be able to utilize those services um, is the difference between equity and equality. Equality would be everybody receiving a computer. Equity would be the person that has disabilities receiving a para that would show them how to use the computer. For sure. For sure. I always admire people who actually do stuff to make the world a better place. (laughs) Working on it. (laughs) I'm good at thinking about what needs to be done. I'm not actually good at actually getting stuff done, Um, which is why I'm a podcaster, clearly. Uh, So... All right. Well, why don't we um, why don't we get right into it? Um, because you, what you told me before we started recording, is you're actually working on getting a biography of yourself out there. <laughs> Which I don't know. So I assume this is a fascinating story, and I'm excited to hear it. We're talking about marriage. I don't know where you want to start. Do you want to start with your first marriage and how that went, or? Oh, we'll start with my ideas about marriage in general. I never sure. be married ever. <laughs> I had. My parents got divorced when I was four and um, I just, I watched what my mom went through. Uh, My dad was a very hit and miss father. And so there was a lot of nights spent falling asleep on the porch, waiting for him to come and pick me up and he never showed up. Mm -hmm. And so growing up seeing, you know, how different family dynamics were and the struggles that women go through raising children alone, I'd always decided that I didn't need a man. I didn't Mm -hmm. need anyone. I didn't need partners. I was got, I got this. And um, so all through my whole life, I had decided that I was going to be a single mom because mm-hmm. being a mother was definitely a goal, but I never intended to have a partner to help me because I was like, screw it. I'm not dealing with nobody else. I got this. <laughs> and then my first marriage happened because I was 22 and yeah. Oh, young love. <laughs> um, but <laughs> I was 22 and in a secret lesbian relationship and, oh yeah, it was pricey. <laughs> and so my stepmother worked with my girlfriend's mom and they were talking and found out that, oh crap, we're dating. And so got ousted to the family on accident. So that was a whole kit and caboodle of awesome. And then we found out my dad had cancer. And so my stepsister got married like the summer before my dad had his lung surgery. And so I got to watch her have her dad walk her down the aisle and do all the like father daughter dance and all those things. And so in my mind, I was like, I'll be damned if my dad dies. And I do not get that like picture of me walking down the aisle and that father daughter dance and all those glorious things. So I proposed. Um, not because I loved her so much. I mean, not that we didn't love each other, but it was very <laughs> selfish on my behalf of like, I'm getting me some pictures. So, <laughs> so we got married and um, my dad did walk me down the aisle. Um, but it's kind of one of those things where it's like, be careful what you ask for. Cause you just might get it. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, that like picturesque, you're standing in your dress and you're dancing the father daughter dance. And it's like this special moment. Right. Yeah, no. Um, My dad was a 60-year-old who really loved the ladies. And so, um, (laughs) preface two, he had one lung at 60 years old. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, He was not fully equipped with all the things, right? But we spent my father-daughter dance with him asking me what my bridesmaid's cup sizes were. Mm. Mm -hmm, Because my dad is definitely the winner. Literally, like cute, beautiful music's playing. We're dancing on the dance floor. And he's like, Hey, so that chick in the blue flowered dress, has she ever been with a black man? I'm like, dad, you're 60. Hey, I got a shot, right? Probably not with your oxygen tank. I'm going to say no. So we move on, but thanks. That was fun. Um, (laughs) so that, that was my joy of my first marriage. And then that ended um, when my dad died, I moved back up to Nebraska from Texas. And 
I reconnected with my mom that I hadn't spoken to in nine years. Uh, she actually paid for my flight to come back up to Nebraska. Lots of snippets of connection. Um, but when I got back up here, I lived with her and my wife decided to do nefarious deeds while my mother's boss was in the house. And so, yeah, she decided that, um, doing drugs in my mom's house was Always like, a good idea. Yeah. With my mom's <laughs> boss coming over, you know, isn't that just, <laughs> I was upstairs making dinner and all of a sudden my mom's boss came over and I'm upstairs making dinner and my mom's boss goes downstairs and she's like, yeah, I'm going to say that, uh, there's drugs in the house. And I'm like, really? And she's like, yeah, I smell a lot of pot smoke downstairs. And I'm like, <laughs> do you now? And she's like, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. So when my mom's boss like figured out that she was smoking weed in the basement, cause you know, bong rips in the middle of the day, <laughs> totally where it's at. Cause I picked a winner. Um, so yeah, didn't realize that that was going on. And so she, we clearly broke up. Um, and so after we broke up, the lucky thing for me was that the, marriage was not legal in the state of Nebraska. Same-sex marriage was not legal yeah, yeah. at that time. So we had to go to Iowa to get married and uh, to get legally married. And then it wasn't mm -hmm. actually recognized in Nebraska. So when we broke up, there was no need to get divorced because we didn't. <laughs> but it was a great excuse for not ever having to worry about getting married in the future. So I was like, oh, you know what? Nope, sorry. <sighs> I got a lesbian <laughs> marriage in my back pocket and it says that uh, this relationship has a cap. Like we can date, we can have a good time, but don't ever think that you're going to put a ring on it. Cause technically I have like an invisible one. Mm. <laughs> and then 2016 and Obama gave everybody the right to be, want to be married. And I'm like, damn, now I got to get a lesbian divorce. But, <laughs> I didn't actually have to worry about getting all the way up until 2016 because it wasn't recognized in Nebraska. It didn't affect my taxes, nothing like that. So <laughs> then 2016 hit and I'm like, okay. So when, once Obergefell happened, then your marriage was suddenly recognized in Nebraska. Is, yeah. That's how it works. <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah. actually a little, I'm actually a little surprised that that's, it's like that's how it worked. I, I, yes. I, I mean, I, I guess that makes sense because if you were legally married in the state of Iowa and then suddenly Nebraska has to recognize gay marriage. Yeah, I mean, I, just, I, I hadn't put two and two together that way. I was like, if you want to be married in Nebraska, you'll have to get married again. Nope, apparently not. <laughs> well, they just rectified it across the board. So um, it was great. I was so excited that everybody could get married. But for me personally, my <laughs> own life story, I was like, damn, like I really could have sat my whole life and never had to worry about getting married again. Cause I already had that bag. Like, no. Mm -mm. <sighs> so that was that. And then, <laughs> and then Mike and I got together kind of. Well, so hold on, hold on. I want to learn about the, I want to learn about your lesbian divorce. Like, did oh, you have to see, did you have to track her down and get her to oh, sign no, the papers? Me down. Okay. Well, that's convenient. That's convenient. I literally wanted nothing to do with that bag because again, I was like, eh, this is like one of those marriages on paper. I'm, I have, I make no money. I am broke. So if I got <laughs> something and you want it, you want my TV? Cause that's about the most valuable thing I own. <laughs> you can come and get it. Have at it. Um, so it really didn't bother me at all to not sure. get divorced. But for her, she's like, I'm in this new relationship and we need to be able to get married. And I'm like, Oh really? Well then you're going to be paying for the divorce. Right. Cause <laughs> I'm not paying for that. Like I paid for us to get married because that was there you, go. you want the divorce. So you get to pay for that. Right. And then let's give a little background into that marriage too. So the first time I met this woman's parents, right? Mm -hmm. Clearly I'm mixed. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, and my wife was white. And so I go to meet her very well to do parents. Like mm -hmm. her, her mother works for the state in like the bailiff's office has worked there for like 40 years mm -hmm. and her dad is a professor of criminology and like, yeah, it, they're mm -hmm. very well to do people. I walk into their home. Her dad looks at me and goes, Oh, so that's <laughs> what you decided to bring home. And then turns mm -hmm. around and walks off and I'm like, okay, cool. And then her mom looks at me and she's like, and we had gone over there for like dinner or something. And her mom was like, well, 
I don't have any chicken, so I don't know what to feed you. And I was like, well, I am thirsty, so I guess I'll take a grape soda or a 40 if you've got it. And And she then escapes to the basement and my wife looks at me and she's like, why'd you have to say that? I'm like, excuse me, your mother just said she didn't know what to feed me because I don't eat anything but chicken. Apparently I was a vegetarian at the time. And I was like, <laughs> even if you did have chicken, that would have been a swing and a miss sweetheart. Like, wow. yeah. Dang. So it's tumultuous relationship to begin with, but yeah, I, I really had no interest or concern in getting divorced because it really didn't affect my life. So I was like, we can stay married for forever Good <laughs> with it. Just don't ever come around me. Like mm, good with that. <laughs> Um, she was not cool with it. So she ended up finding me, found me via Facebook. And then, and she started that conversation with, so I just wanted to ask for an apology. And I was like, I'm sorry. Yeah. Cause at this point it already been like two years that we literally had no contact. And I'm like, okay, wait, so you're wanting an apology for what exactly? Well, all of the emotional damage from our um, separation and the fact that, you know, I'm going to have to pay for this divorce and, you know, it's just going to be so much on me. And I'm like, <laughs> so I've had a kid. I've buried a parent. Um, I've had to reestablish a career and I'd started college all by that point. And I'm like, if you can't get your poop in a group and scoop those berries in a basket, that is not my concern. I already left that sinking ship and I am on my own little rowboat tugging away over here. So I'm going to have to ask you to go and get your apology from Jesus. Cause it's not. <laughs> like, yeah. Man. Yeah. No, I mean, that's always a great way to open a conversation with an ex. You owe me an apology. Yeah, <laughs> you're emotionally damaging me because you left me because I smoked weed in your mom's basement with her boss there. <laughs> after you just reconnected with this woman after nine years of not speaking to her and you only reconnected because your dad died. And I kind of almost ruined that whole thing, but I need you to tell me sorry. <laughs> yeah, again, interesting life snippets and moments. So, so then we get into the, I meet Mike on OkCupid and totally So even awesome. though you don't want to get married again, you are on OkCupid. Just, oh, just because I don't <laughs> want to get married does not mean I don't want to <laughs> like, well, there you go. There you and go. being a single mom, like it's not, and I work with people with disabilities. So it's not like I had an exorbitant amount of opportunities to go out and socialize like real world style. Um, sure. cause I was still, I was finishing up my degree in human services at that point. And so I literally just had like hours of time, not days and weeks to be able to go and like do all that. So, okay. Cupid was where it was at. And we met how we met definitely set the tone for the rest of our relationship. So on my, okay. Cupid <laughs> profile, I had on there that I really love random facts. Like a dime has 118 sides, like the ridges around a dime. There's 118. Yeah, sure. Will I ever need to know that? Absolutely not. Is it stored <laughs> rent free in my brain for the rest of my life? Absolutely. So I love random crap like that. It's one of my favorite joys in life. So he messaged me and he was like, Hey, do you want me to ruin Nemo for you? And I was like, I think I love this. Yes. Please decimate my brain on a child movie. And so he told me that clownfish actually switched gender. So if Nemo's, if Marlin's wife had been killed and there was only one egg left, the only reason why Marlin would be crossing the ocean to find Nemo is because Nemo is supposed to be his bitch so that they can procreate and create a new batch of clownfish babies so it's really like an incestuous love story almost and nemo actually means no one so he's kind of like searching for himself because he might be imaginary especially because the special fish is the one that was like going to go try to help him find this elusive other fish so yeah he kind of like ruined it for me and made me think of horrible incestuous fish sex when it came to nemo and i was like you know what I need to meet you in person. And so, <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, we met up at the mill. Uh, 
and had coffee and talked. And then he came over one night, spent the night the next night. And then he had gone through like this whole crazy situation from moving to, from also being in Texas and moving from Texas back to Nebraska, different reasons. Um, but through all of that, his car got repossessed like within the first week of us knowing each other. And so I let him borrow my car for a week. And there he was like, he was like, whoa, um, I've literally met you four times. Definitely wasn't for like, hey, let's get to know each other on a deep personal level type of conversations. <laughs> and um, you're totally cool with me just like taking your car. And I'm like, yeah, I don't need it right now. I'm, you know, I, my job is across the street and my, my daycare, my mom was watching my son and she lived literally a block and a half away from me. And I was like, you need it for work, go ahead. And then that kind of started our semi dating ish relationship. We had play dates and such. And then um, there was no like, oh, I love you so much. Let's get married because we're just, no, he was in debt, deeply, <laughs> deeply in debt um, from, he had to uproot his life from Nebraska to transplant it down to Texas to within a year transplant it back from Texas to Nebraska again. So ended a career in Nebraska to try to pick up jobs down there, lived off of credit cards for a while while he was establishing himself, came back to Nebraska, had to do the same thing over again, essentially. And then the credit cards were like, so you've had like nine of us and you haven't been paying on any of us. Here we come. And so I was like, ah, okay. And then I also, you know, from having my son and um, stuff like that, I had to like probably $10,000 worth of medical debt. And so oh, we literally sat down and we were like, you got a lot of debt. I got a lot of debt. I want to file for bankruptcy. If we get married, we only have to file once. How about <laughs> we do that? And we're like, yeah, this buck. Sounds good. Getting married in the backyard because screw society, invite like nine people, call it a day with the judge. Yep, that's exactly what we did. Like <laughs> it had nothing to do with this romantic idea of we're just going to be in it forever. I never lied to him. I never wanted to be married. I didn't want to be married <laughs> the first time. I didn't want to be married the second time. I don't, because for me, marriage is a contract. It has nothing to do with being a life partner. I can be a life partner with somebody. I can share my days. I can share my experiences. I can share my home and my bed with you and have no piece of paper that says that you are legally bound to do that with me. Like for me, a lot of what, a lot of what 21st century, 20th century versions of what love and marriage are is a uh, fantasy of what marriage actually is. If you go back and look at what marriages were intended to do, they were binding contracts to be able to share power between families. Like way back in like the 1400s, do you think that peasants actually like had grandiose weddings? Absolutely not. Did they even have marriage contracts? Normally not. If you weren't part of the ruling class, you didn't need to have a contract to be able to get married. And those contracts that you did have were contracts for those families to exchange their services or goods consistently inside of the community. So it was more of a legal social contract than it was like a love bound thing. And so fast forward to the 21st, the 19th century, when love became like this big thing and Shakespeare and sonnets were like the rage and, you know, oh, everything is I doth protest and all that crap. Well, love is a, a beautiful thing and it absolutely happens, but love being what bases marriages is a new concept. Most cultures around the world still don't operate that way. There are still a lot of countries and cultures that do arranged marriages because for them, marriage is a contract. It is a means to improve your life status or your social setting, things like that. So in America, a lot of people have looked at marriage from, oh man, I want to be married in that 50 years until we grow old, but we've had one fight and now I want to get divorced and it's been six months. Can it be an annulment? Like, mm, I don't vibe with that. Like <laughs> Mike and I may be married and on paper, we are contractually bound together. But for me, that just means if our relationship ever dissolved, we, we both now have to pay for that shit. Instead of just being able to say, hey, bro, 
it's been 22 years, but this shit just doesn't work for Amy anymore. So I'm going to walk away and find my happiness. You're going to walk away and find your happiness and call it a day. We can talk through it and work it out. Nope. Because you are now married with that legal contract, you have to go through and break everything down, whether you want to or not. And it's expensive no matter what you do. So yeah, me and marriage still aren't friends, even though I'm in one and my relationship is happy. It's just <laughs> in my mind, marriage is bogus. <laughs> well, that is a story. Not going to lie. Um, gosh. <laughs> I don't know what to say to that. Um, uh, sounds like um, so. It's it's to it's to totally a pragmatic thing for you then. Um. Oh yeah, <laughs> I can because I have two very separate sides. I am very compartmentalized on my emotional self and my logical self. Like mm -hmm. my emotional self does not dictate what my life choices are because my logic my logical self is what looks at the long game and figures out what actually makes sense. So I might feel some type of way about something, but that doesn't mean that, that, that my choice is going to follow suit. So mm -hmm. for me, marriage is more of a logical situation than it is an emotional situation. Sounds and like the first one was pretty emotional though. I mean, Oh, that was emotional, but also logical. Logically. I knew that my dad had cancer and there was not going to be a window for me to guarantee he would be able to give me those pictures and give me those memories. Sure. So emotionally, did I love my ex? I loved her after the relationship was over. I discovered that I was never really in love with her. If, if mm. understand the difference of that, like, you can love somebody deeply, but not be in love with that person. Mm -hmm. And that's what it was in my first marriage. I loved her. I mean, we were great friends. We had good times and stuff like that, but it was never, I was never in love with her. So that whole thing was doomed from the start, no matter what. Um, <laughs> marriage, no marriage, contract, no contract. She was definitely not somebody I could see myself, you know, living my life with. Mm. Um, but with... Mike, it's a, it's a cult. It's a completely different type of situation. Like we, again, with my logical self versus emotional self, I'm a mother first. So, you know, I have, uh, at the time he was two. So I had a two year old son and I refused to even think about getting into a relationship with somebody that did not also have children that were around the same age as my child, that I got to observe what type of parent you were before sure. we even delved into a relationship. So I got to watch how Mike was around his daughter and how they mm. interacted. And the fact that he would uproot his life, not once, but twice to make sure that he was around his kid. That's the kind of dude I can kick it with. That means that even though my child is not biologically your child, I can see that you would fight for him. So mm. logically I can chink, 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 all those little like, yep, check that off, check that off. And then emotionally, then I can give myself a space to, really take in what's happening because mm -hmm. you don't want to, I'm, I'm a very guarded person um, with a lot of my stuff. So for me, it has to be logical first and then emotional. Let me ask you this. Are you in this for the long haul then, or is this just, this is Absolutely. it until it stops working? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, to be fair, isn't every relationship you're in it until it stops working. Sure. Sure. I mean, but for me, I mean, I, I, I I guess, I guess I can see a distinction maybe between I'm here till it quits working on me versus I'm here to the extent that I will do everything I can to make it work. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. And, that, and that's the difference with my wife, again, being, I loved her, but I was not in love with her. Therefore I was not invested in let's figure out all the different things that we can do to figure out how to make this work because I am really invested in this. It wasn't there. I mean, it just wasn't, but with the relationship with Mike, we have three kids together. We're building mm -hmm. a life together. You know, when you look at long haul, I would like to have him there. That's, and this is the difference between life partner and marriage to me. If we mm -hmm. ever got divorced, that to me does not mean that our relationship ends. That means that 
contractually our paper is done, but that mm -hmm. does not mean that our, our relationship as it works has to be done. But I also have very, very different views on relationships in general. So um, like for me, sex isn't cheating because sex is an activity that you do much like going to the gym. You would never expect somebody to eat the same sandwich if it was the best sandwich you had ever had in your entire life. Doesn't matter how good it is. You are not gonna wanna eat it every day for the rest of your life. And it is absolutely ridiculous to me to think that sex should only be between two people only for the rest of your life. Like it's not how logically, again, logic versus emotion, human beings are not as a creature because a lot of people want to pretend like humans are not actually an animal. We are as human beings. We are not equipped like our genetic forms, you're not supposed to be monogamously in a relationship with one person for your entire life. It goes against your genetic creed. Like that's the reason why men produce so much sperm. It's the reason why women produce so many eggs. You're not supposed to have just one bloodline. So therefore you're not supposed to sleep with just one person. Monogamy was a creation of human beings that logically trapped themselves in. It has nothing to do with nature. So mm. So for me, again, relationships and that whole concept of relationships is extremely different than a lot of people's views on what relationships entail and what they have to have. For me, there's levels of relationships. You can have loving friend relationships. You can have a friends with benefits type of relationship where sex is an option, but it's not the reason why you're in that relationship. You can have relationships where it's just sex and that's it. And you literally go and you get off and it's like, fist bump at the end. Good job, old chap. See you next Tuesday. And you walk away. And that's literally the only part of your relationship with that person. But there's different facets in every single person's interpretation of what relationships mean. So for me and Mike, I see him as a life partner. I have no indication or distinction at this point that there is any reason why our relationship would end or, I mean, it'll change and morph because as people, we will change and grow and morph and we might need or want each other in different types of ways, but our core relationship of how connected we are isn't going to change, in my opinion, from where we're at now. So I think a lot of people don't offer the space for an evolution of a relationship. Marriages are not supposed to be like year one at year 20. You can't expect the same things from a marriage in the first five years that you expect from a marriage in the you know next 10 years. So that also means that that person you're in that relationship with is going to grow and change. Their likes and dislikes are going to grow and change. What they, what they are satisfied with is going to grow and change. And the reason why, in my opinion, relationships work is because both parties are willing to grow and change in equal measure. I'm willing to give you what you need in order for you to be satisfied, whether that's me, whether that's something else, whether that's somewhere else, if it's a blip it, so long as we're able to have a conversation and we both agree on what works for us, societal standards don't matter. If we say this feels right and this works, then that's what works. And we say it works and we say it feels right. So that's what we're going with. So long as we're not harming anybody else, so long as we are not putting anybody else in a position that would open them up for harm, then there's no reason to not find your own version of what works for you and whoever else you're with. I want to push back on the monogamy thing though, because I, I feel like I've heard this a lot that, you know, monogamy is not natural to humans. It's just something humans invented, <laughs> which to me, that's, that's a weird, that's a weird, con there's a weird contradiction there to me that to say that, Oh, man, humans are naturally monogamous. That's just something humans came up with. Like if, if humans came up with it, then that doesn't that mean it's somehow endemic to humans? No, you can look at other <laughs> like, okay. So turtle doves, right? Yeah. Turtle doves are a species that are, are built to be in pairs, right? Whenever you get a female turtle dove, if they do not have a mate, then typically their health declines. They don't live as long, but if you have two turtle doves and they are in a partnership and an impairing, they will last longer. Their, um, their satisfaction is more, they sing more often, things like that. Right? So, a lot of times human beings don't like to look at themselves as like an actual subset of species. 
right? Just like wolves or bears or any other species that roams the earth, human beings are an animal. So in human existence, if you go back anthropologically and look at what, what did before society was actually a thing, before we had groups of human beings that lived together in a formed society, what did human behavior look like, right? In base instincts and base, like where we started at. And if you look at that human beings, they call it the seven, they call it the seven year itch, but actually it's the four year itch. Human beings are back in those times would procreate with a female would procreate with a male and they would stay together in that relationship long enough to be able to get their progeny up to being a walking self-eating age, which back then was about three or four years old before you were a biped and you were able to be mobile independently because they were nomadic. So you had to actually be able to walk. So at that point, at that four year mark, when that child was old enough to be able to be self-sufficient, typically that female would then either stay in that same herd if it was multiple people or she would migrate to the next herd whoever had the better version of food so maybe they were a hunter gatherer that they had come across in their nomadic space she would either take that progeny with her or she would leave that progeny if it were beneficial for the male in that section she would leave that progeny there and then go procreate with the next male in this things. Now, again, a lot of times when you talk about stuff like this, people are like, but they're human beings and they had brains and thoughts and they're not animals. We are animals. We are gifted with speech, but just like every other animal communication has always been an option. Bears communicate. They don't have speech. They still communicate. Um, but with humans in regards to relationships, it, the evolution of like partnerships, partnerships have never been arguable. There's always been partnerships. People have paired up for different reasons and things like that. It's the judgment and the expectation of what those relationships look like that have developed as society has developed. Like homosexuality. Homosexuality is something that if you look at like Native American people, right? In Native American tribes, they are called two spirits. It was never something that was judged. It was actually something that was praised. As you develop in society, you find new ways of religion and judging people and all of that stuff. So the way that society views relationships morphs to the time as opposed to it just being what it is. So our expectations and judgments on relationships are very tied into where we live, what we grew up with, what the society and cultural expectations are in that area. Because what we in America think is normal, people in Bangladesh would think we are fucking crazy. Or if we went to Moscow, their expectations on relationships are different. If you go to like different countries have different cultural expectations and those are based in regions more so than it is in natural human expectations for what your creature species would do. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, I guess. I guess I'm I'm just skeptical of kind of the evolutionary just so stories of like looking back, you say a million years ago, how people behaved. Well, that's what's natural to humans. Like why a million years ago? Why not like 400,000 years ago or 2000 years ago or like five years ago? You know, like if humans are actually animals, then it's all natural, right? Like, right. The judgment is what's not natural, in my opinion. Like, in my opinion, relationships are natural no matter which version of relationships they are. Between sure. men, between women, age range differences, so long as it's not pedophilia, you know, um, and even, I mean, the level of age range of cut off for what is pedophilia, you ask some people, it's 17. You're not out of high school, somebody looks at you sideways, then it's pedophilia. Some people it's like younger teens, some people it's actual children, some people it's all the way up to like, oh man, if you are 20 years old and you're dating somebody that's 50, that's the equivalent of pedophilia because they're old enough to be your grandpa. Like the everybody agrees, base statement, pedophilia is wrong. Everybody's judgment on where pedophilia starts can be different. Everybody agrees that grown people messing with children, absolutely hands down wrong. Now, does children level start at 19? Does children level start at 17? Does children level start at 13? Everybody has their own distinction on what that is, even though you may agree that pedophilia is wrong. 
you might not agree with what age it is. And a lot of that also will have to do with what your culture is as well, because culturally in other places, it's normal for women to get married at 15, 16. Culturally here, that's not normal, but it just kind of relationships and judgment depend on, on human judgment as opposed to what actually comes naturally to humans. But doesn't judgment come naturally to humans? Absolutely. But (laughs) judgment and power and the way that people impose it, like, that's why I say society is like the worst development that has ever hit humanity. Um, Because pre-organized society, right? Back again, I guess, Native people, Aboriginal times, Kemet, Nubia, going back to like original civilizations and stuff like that. All, a lot of what makes downfalls is judgment, right? Because human beings judge all the time. And that's kind of what we're built to do. But being able to say one thing is right and one thing is wrong based on an organized, agreeable judgment system is how things in my opinion, how they crumble. Like in society, take America currently. In American society currently, it is expected of women to grow up at this point now, have a career if you choose to have a career, but you should probably have kids because one of the questions that you get all the time is, oh, you're in a new relationship. When are you guys having babies? Oh, you're, you're, you guys have been married for five years when you're going to start rolling out kids. Right. And is that an actual expectation that women should have? No. Is that an expectation that women have in every country? No. But is it only America? Also? No. Is it a women's issue? Definitely. Like it's multifaceted versions of judgment on what you're supposed to do versus the acceptance of doing whatever it is that works. And you can do that like America 50 years ago would um, expect, you know, women's roles to be different than what men's roles are, which still is partially apparent now, but a lot of that gender shit has started to sort itself out by people waking up and realizing that there is no such thing as male roles and female roles that everybody can do everything. But, but again, with the judgment systems and the evolution of how people think about things, I'm hoping that eventually society will evolve to a place where you get to do what feels right because it's what feels right. Like a large part of my community activism tied into all of this is true equity and equality and true equity equity and equality for me means true sovereignty, which is ownership of your body and your property. So no more laws about abortion as well as no more landlords because landlords is an antiquated thing, but it's, it's all about how people view things and how people view worth and experience and worth in what gets to help dictate the judgments that society bases things off of. So like marriage and relationships, what we're talking about, how people think that two people are in a marriage, right? It was argued for a really long time that marriage was only between a man and a woman. And then in this country, and then Obama came in and was like, okay, well, we're going to say that marriage is now legal for any two people to be able to get married. But now do we, push that further and open the door for legal polygamy. And we allow, you know, it's not hurting anybody. You guys all agree to it. So now can you legally all 13 of you get married? I don't know. Yeah. That's what I'm saying is how far do we push that envelope of judgment before we say, okay, this is acceptable up to this point. Marriage is acceptable between two people up to the point to where we say, here's the age cutoff. You can't get married. You can't legally be responsible enough to get married until you're 18, 19, 16 in some states, 14 in other states. So now we've said, okay, same-sex marriage is legal. So now if you're a guy and a guy, girl and a girl, doesn't really matter. Not non-binary gendered, cool. You guys can all get married. Okay, but we're still limiting it to it can only be a marriage legal contract between two people. So what happens with people that decide that polyamory is their lifestyle or polygamy 
or polyandry, which polyandry is the female version of polygamy. So instead of having multiple husbands, instead of having multiple wives, you have multiple husbands. Um, you know, when, when do we get to a place as a society and people where we're like, we don't get to put blockades anymore on what we deem is socially acceptable. If we say that it's okay for two people to get married, any two people to get married, why isn't it okay for any four people to get married? What is the judgment and legal holdup that makes that not acceptable? Because it's more moral than it is a legal problem. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, let me ask you this. Um, aside from your change of mind, what, what would you say you learned from the experience? Um, I would definitely say that marriage has taught me how to accept other people's criticisms. Hmm. When Can you close. elaborate on that? Yeah. So... Prior to this marriage, it didn't really matter what anybody else said about my life because what they said didn't affect me. You didn't pay my bills. You didn't, you know, you weren't a part of it. So, um, you know, inside of this, being able to hear those hard truths from Mike that I would normally be like, shut up and just walk away from it. And actually, I mean, I can't really walk away when we're like in the same room and it's bedtime. So <laughs> I'm not sleeping on the couch. So we're just going to have to lay here and talk about this. Um, there you go. So that's probably been the best gift is being able to have somebody force me into those difficult conversations. And it's helped me do a lot more deeper introspection. Hmm. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, I have three um, qu questions I close out each show with um, just philosophical questions, uh, epistemology, ontology, how do we know truth? How do we know ourselves? Um, so I'm curious to hear your answers to these. Um, first of all, what is identity? Does everyone have an identity? How do you know your identity? What do you think? Mm. I think that identity is how somebody defines themselves inside and outside of how others define them. Hmm. Inside and outside of how are the others define them. Can you explain what you mean by that? Yeah. So I think that you have different forms of identity. You have your identity that you, you are, you know who you are inside your head. And then you have your identity that has everybody else's voices that are inside your head. So your parents, your friends, you know, all those other things that tell you that you're doing great or you're not doing enough. So you have your identity of who you know you are. You have your identity of who other people are influencing you to be. And then you have your outside identity for what other people know you as. Hmm. So you might be a really shy, introverted person who doesn't like people. But when you get into crowds, you are an extremely extroverted, jovial, really loud, out there, funny person. And so people that know you socially only know your social identity, but people that know you like your best friends that have been there for 30 years and they know your insides out inside and outside, they know your inside you of your true identity of like why you do the things you do or what actually is your motivations and stuff. So yeah, I think each person has three versions of identity. That's interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Um, what is human nature? We've actually talked about this a bit. Um, are we all the same deep down? Are we all different deep down or are we all blank slates? What do you think? I think, I think that human nature is inhibited a lot by judgment. And I think that it's also human nature to judge, um, and us and them finding commonalities and differences type of situation. Um, But I think the definition of human nature is just ever evolving because as humans, we are ever evolving. So there are base things that are correct that, you know, speak true to every creature. But I think that the definition of human nature is pretty fluid. Hmm. 
So what would you say is true of every creature then? Um, I would say that every creature seeks, seeks a version of connection mm-hmm. and that we live, thrive and die off of the connections that we create or we receive. Um, I think that as a base that every human being is seeking a version of love, whether it's healthy or unhealthy, whether they know how to ask for it appropriately or inappropriately. I think that that's part of the connection pieces, the deeper you want to be connected. You want to have friends or social things, but you want, everybody wants to be loved. Hmm. Everybody wants to feel that deep bond with another human being so that you can be seen and Hmm. recognized as being important or worthy. And I think Hmm. that's one of those things that is indelibly human that every human being wants wants loving recognition that they are worthy of being alive, that they're worthy of being a being a being that you are here for something other than just the accident of your existence. What about hermits? (laughs) I mean, even hermits. So they had to have connections to be able to realize that they didn't want them. Mm. Guess that's fair. You can't realize (laughs) that you don't like something really don't like something unless you've experienced it. I mean, there's phobias of, you know, I'm scared of heights and stuff, but do you ever really know if you're scared of heights, if you've never stepped up on a ladder or had to look down from something, you know, you can't really, you can't really know that you don't want connections. Those people that are hermits, in my opinion, are people that have been hurt. Mm -hmm. The only reason why you would want to escape from humanity is that somebody has reached out and damaged you so deeply that you have lost faith that there are good enough things that are worth coming out of your comfort shell to actually try to experience. Hmm. It'd be interesting to ask a hermit what he has to say about that, but uh, (laughs) can't do that right now. Ask some agoraphobic people. Oh, sure. Sure. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, if you're afraid of crowds, that doesn't mean you necessarily dislike people in general, but yeah, I can see where you're going with that. Um, and finally, Maggie, what is truth? How do you know truth? How do you know when you found truth? What do you think? That's a hard one. Um, <laughs> we ask the hard questions here on change my mind. Yes. Um, because, and I honestly, Truth is both subjective and objective, in my opinion. Mm. So it really depends on whose truth you're trying to find. Can you elaborate on that? So a truth for me may not be a truth for you, regardless of how factual it is. So, So like a truth inside of an experience is always true. I like my life experience. I definitely experienced it. I live this stuff in my brain. They're my memories. I have them. I know they're my truths. Now do those truths match up with my brother's truths? We grew up in the same household. We lived through the same experiences, the same things that happened in my life happened in his life, but his perception of that, those experiences and my perception of those experiences alter the truth that we receive. Hmm. So it really just depends on whose truth you want to go through. Like um, I'm trying to give, like think of an example of like a facts thing, like, okay, the sun. Okay. Argument that I had with my, with my four-year-old, the sun rises and falls. Correct. You see the sun come up every day. You see the sun go down every day. Inarguable fact. Now, why the sun rises and falls every day is a truth that is arguable depending on where you're finding your facts from. If you're finding your facts from science, science tells you that the earth rotates around and that the sun neither rises nor falls, that it's actually the earth's rotation that allows you to see the sun as it passes by, right? But if you ask, if I asked my four-year-old at that point, why the earth, why the sun comes up and goes down, she was raised in a very religious household. And she thought that God was responsible. God brings the sun up in the morning and God puts the sun back down in the evening. And I'm like, okay, so does that mean the sun disappears? Well, yeah, of course the sun disappears. No, the sun doesn't disappear. It's always there. We just can't always see it. Now, again, 
facts are facts. Like for her, fact was God brings the sun up and puts the sun back down. It is a hard, solid truth for her. God is responsible. For me, my hard, solid truth is that the earth rotates and that that's why we see the sun coming up and going down. Your truth is very dependent upon where you're looking to find your facts from. Hmm. But you'd agree that you're probably more right than she is, right? No, because <laughs> yeah. in her, no, because I, I like to label myself a pantheist, which means that no religion is wrong and every religion has some version of validity. So in my mind, people that are deeply filled with faith and they really do think that it is a miracle that we are a floating hunk of rock with a whole bunch of moss on it that's covered in some water in this ethereal universe soup with this big hot molten rock that's throwing some heat at us that keeps things growing but has actually burned up other rocks and left other rocks icy cold the fact that we're in this space is that not a version of a miracle ah, I don't really that's because I'm a pantheist and I'm spiritual yeah maybe but am I gonna say that they're wrong absolutely not if if you believe that God is the reason that we are floating on this magical rock more power to you all right <laughs> Well, why don't we wind things down then? Um, Maggie, thank you for coming on the show. It's been fun talking to you. Yeah. Um, before we go, you got anything you want to plug? A Twitter, anything else? Oh. Can oh, yeah, we can do this now. on here. Can we? <laughs> we can. Um, I would love to plug Change Now LNK on Facebook, and I believe they have an Instagram as well. Um, they're a activist group here in Lincoln. I'd also like to plug Stand In For Nebraska um, and Civic Nebraska and Appleseed here in Lincoln. They are different community works organizations that do amazing outreach. Um, they're working on making equity happen for the community so everybody has a place to sit at the table. All right, perfect. Well, this has been Changed My Mind with Luke T. Harrington. I'm Luke T. Harrington. You can find me on Twitter at Luke T. Harrington or just go to my website, LukeTHarrington.com. I'll see you next time. I have to say, I'm deeply skeptical of the narrative that says humans are just part of nature, therefore we can make ourselves whatever we want, right? Like, either we're part of nature or we transcend nature, but both those things can't be true. You know what I mean? If we're part of nature, then we are subject to our nature, to the laws of nature. And we can't turn ourselves into anything. <laughs> um, it's it's sort of like the, the question of free will, right? Like if the human brain is nothing but material, then it can't overcome what it is, right? There can be no mind over matter if the mind is matter, right? Um, if your brain is making all your choices and your brain is subject to physical law and physical law is dictating how the electrons and chemicals move around in your brain, then there is no such thing as free will. I don't know. Um, I don't have too much else to say about that conversation. I'll just let it speak for itself. Um, I feel like I should do a quick fact check because I don't want to get a ton of emails. Um, for the record, <laughs> I'm aware that it was the Supreme Court, not Barack Obama, who uh, le effectively legalized gay marriage nationwide. Um, I tried to mention that. I It was difficult to uh, interject. <laughs> when Maggie got going, she got going. Um, so anyway, don't, don't email me. I know. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, now you know. Uh, try to
trying to be a responsible journalist here and, um, yeah, fact check. Um, so yeah, uh, that's it for this week. Um, if you like what I'm doing, uh, please take a second to log on to Apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and leave a review, uh, a rating, click that five star button, say it's great. That's all you have to do. It's not hard unless you're not good at clicking things or liking things. Um, if you want to support me financially, there is a Ko-Fi you can donate to. Uh, that's ko-fi.com slash change my mind. Uh, you can log on there and give me $3 or $6 or $9. Um, it's just a tip saying, hey, man, I like what you're doing. A few people have donated. I appreciate it. Um, if you don't want to give me money for nothing, uh, I do have a book out that you can buy. It's called Murder Bears, Moonshine and Mayhem, Strange Stories from the Bible to Leave You Amused, Bemused, and Hopefully Informed. Um, it is available from Harper College Christian Publishing, written with a general audience in mind, uh, Christian, non-Christian, anyone who wants to learn a little more about the Bible um, and or laugh a bit. Um, so you can find that on the Zon or wherever mediocre books are sold. Um, yeah, um, I want to thank Jonathan Clausen for editing the show. He's a good guy. I want to thank Maggie for coming on the show. Thanks, Maggie. It was a fun talk. I want to thank Raven Creek Social Club for hosting the podcast. Check them out at ravencreeksc.com. And finally, I want to thank you for listening to Change My Mind. I'm Luke T. Harrington. Please don't be afraid to change your mind. <laughs>